The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business on News Talk. I'm joined this morning by Eileen Dunn, journalist and broadcaster, and Hugh O'Connell, deputy political editor at the Irish Independent. Of course, wall to wall coverage today of the passing of Shane McGowan. Very sad to see him go. It is, maybe I am alone in this, but it is only now on his passing that I have begun to look back at what he, the, the both lyrics that he produced and the sounds that he produced and think. I had underestimated the the poetry and quality of the man. Well, I would agree with you. Absolutely. Maybe it's because I'm a 70. I was a teenager in the 70s and he kind of came. I'm kind of body band Planksty. He came after that. And so I was in the car on Thursday night driving home. And I have to say, John Creedon out of the park once again, as he did with Sinead O'Connor. And I just was stuck to the car and I went in home and turned on the radio in the kitchen and stayed there until 10 o'clock. But I heard songs that I'd never heard before. I heard a younger voice that I wasn't aware of. I thought I was listening to Leonard Cohen at one point. I mean, a beautiful, crystal clear voice and fabulous lyrics, whereas in latter times, sometimes you weren't, you couldn't make out you know, some of the words. So absolutely, I would. I, I came away from that saying, I have underestimated this man totally. And I suppose the other piece of it is in that headline, he lived and dreamt big and lived and dreamt large. He did live big. I mean, this is, the, the, this is a man who put himself through the ringer for a long time. Yeah, I mean, like his, his drinking sessions, I think, are pretty legendary. And I was reading something yesterday about his, you know, some of his tipples of choice, you know, dry vermouth, uh, standard tipple was dry vermouth, triple measure with a glass of ice on the side, Guinness and barley wine, blackcurrants, hooch and vodka, a and b which is brandies and Baileys. Um, but I think he used to drink a rather large measure of that, not the kind of standard uh, measure. So... Um, you know, it's almost remarkable. I mean, it's very sad, obviously, his passing and, and for his family and, and for uh, Victoria Mary Clark. Um, but, but 65, given the the, um, the turmoil he put his body through and his, you know, I think it's, uh, it, it's quite something that he managed to hold on this long. Uh, but he lived a very full life. Um, and I, I think it's, it, look, it's, it's been a year where we've lost Sinead O'Connor, which... I think was something that really all stopped us in our tracks earlier this year when when it happened, and, and I think the same is true of, of Shane McGowan. Although obviously he'd been sick for quite a bit of, a bit of time, so it was what was somewhat. There's a wonderful piece of the Independent, point. Tanya Sweeney. About, yeah, about her, about Victoria. Beautiful piece. Yeah, it's a lovely piece. They met when they were when she was 16. I hadn't realised they had been together that for time. as long as they yeah. were. Yeah, yeah, it's just a lovely piece because you'd 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 wonder sometime, and and she's she obviously did imbibe in the early days yeah. but she's now kind of vegan and green well, it, juices and all the rest it's of it. funny as well she, she was there for him you she, know? she tells a story of, of falling in love with McGowan when she and her then boyfriend went to see the Pogues in a concert on St. Patrick's Day um, and he was living in a squat with no phone and no front door among broken TVs and mat- TVs and mattresses which certainly made their early courtship interesting <laughs> Um, she said, I hadn't thought about him sexually before, but felt the need to be around him. I was attracted to his spirit and his energy more than anything. If I fancy someone, it wears off after a period of time. But this was unusual. It never wore off. So, I mean, I think Years. it speaks to the love yeah. that they had, that she, you know, she found him at a particularly desperate point in his life and, um, and, uh, but fell in love with him nonetheless. He certainly wouldn't have lived as long if it wasn't for her, I would say. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think yeah. there would be a general consensus in a lot of the analysis that would agree with that. And of course, all of the papers covering um, uh, Shane's life in detail, the Indo Inside 
piece by Tanya Sweeney. Pubs, pogues, gigs and proposals, an unbreakable bond, an epic love story. That's the one that Eileen was referring to. And then the Daily Mail has a big spread about the cottage in Tipperary that made a punk rock legend. In slightly more worrying news today, there's a, a lot of attention on apparent death threats being made to cabinet ministers and armed guardi being um, stationed at synagogues, mosques and around the home of the Taoiseach. Whatever about there being death threats, because I assume as awful as it is, it is a, a function of life for a cabinet minister, you get death threats. If they're putting the armed response unit out, that means that there is something in this, doesn't it? It does. I suppose it's like looking at a headline maybe about Paris that you would have seen a couple of years ago or New York or it's just sad that it's come to Dublin uh, and to Ireland, not just Dublin. Uh, and, and the other side, you would say, well, has he not got armed people already? And he does have a certain amount of security, the Taoiseach, obviously. Um, but I think we liked to think that it wasn't happening here. And I think it's just been a total wake up call. As in what we have seen at the rioting and what we have seen subsequently. Do you think that it was, was it willfully underestimated or was there a sort of a tactical decision being made that said, look, you don't give it, you don't feed it the the attention that it clearly desires because that will create more of it? I think it's a bit of both. I think there was a hope that we could, we'd say, okay, we knew there was something there, but to keep it at bay. And I think this has just been a total wake up call. Yeah, the, the um, armed guard being posted outside um, cabinet ministers, we haven't seen that in a long time, Hugh. I assume to some extent the reason that it is being leaked out is to put a marker down that if you're going to protest, don't do it outside these venues. Um, well, I, I think it's got out because obviously it's a significant development uh, in terms of, of uh, Ungarda Shikona and what they're doing. Um, I don't think this is something necessarily Taoiseach's people would want known, but it's uh, it's out there. Um, I think one of the things that's been a, a hallmark of Irish politics down through the decades is the accessibility of politicians. And I mean, the Taoiseach does have armed protection, but it's it's not on the scale of other, um, even other EU leaders. It's certainly nowhere near the scale of, of the American president, for example. And it has um, been ramped back a lot. Both Justice and Taoiseach are significantly less protected than they once were, particularly in the Troubles. Well, that's true. That, yeah, yeah, that is absolutely you, true. You've been aware of it during the Troubles yeah. that they had armed but, but cars that, and, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not so long ago that the Taoiseach was in Marion, I think it was in Marion Square and a, so, someone went over to him and threw a milkshake on him. I, I think if you remember that a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that prompted questions about the Taoiseach security at the time. Uh, I do know that, like, there was a message going around last Thursday about people to head up towards the Taoiseach's home and uh, Taoiseach lives on the edge of the city centre uh, with, with his partner. Um, so, like this, I think is is reflective of the fact that there is increased um, anxiety about the security of politicians. I mean, you see that around Leicester House this week. There's large security barriers that you have to walk through just to get into the place. Uh, there isn't much sign. Is that what happened? Has that is that what has happened on the Marion Street side as it's well? Happened, the path now has barriers down yeah, the entire lane. It's, it's happened. I, I'm not sure about them. I haven't been on the Marion Street side this week, but I was on the Kildare Street side a few times this week. I went in that way, and you're walking through two uh, quite heavily metal barriers there's, there's this visible guard of presence you know normally when you've been walking into Leinster House there's one or two guards stationed outside and it's pretty easy to walk in you show your ID you go through but um, it's certainly more it's in, it's intensified this week uh, and that's a direct response to the riots and I think you know the other thing that's changed is that every cabinet minister now has an armed guard driving them around um, and that, that, sorry, that's been the case since I think earlier this year or late last year uh, and that was in response to things like Stephen Donnelly's home. There was a fence erected out Simon there Harris. because Simon Harris as well. 
Um, so there is a, an increased concern about the um, about the security of politicians, and that is, as Eileen as says, it's a pretty sad state of affairs. And it goes to Eileen your point in that it will further give attention to the underlying issue of the sort of the extreme right and the kind of dissent that is being fomented, because this kind of stuff becomes grist to the mill. They are able then to use it on social media. So how does, if you're in a position of, of um, government power, what do you do at this point? Well, if you're thinking about running and when we're seeing the fall off and people who are retiring and getting out and they're trying to find replacements, who'd want it? I mean, we would have said that for years, mm. you know, when you're when you're when you see really what goes on. But who, who the thanklessness of the job of a senior politician. All, all woman, parties are struggling you know. to find candidates, I think, and there is a reluctance of people um, who aren't in politics to run for politics. They might be encouraged by other people in, 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 who are active in, in politics locally to run, but I, I think people are very reluctant to put them in a situation where you know, social media abuse is off the scale, but also there will be issues around their own personal safety. Mm. You know? But it was always a job that was extraordinary. I mean, whether you like politicians or dislike them, mm. it is an extraordinarily time-consuming, life-consuming job. You don't get to do it nine to five. You are mm. almost always on. You never know what you're going to say that's going to have you introduced in the papers. And to some extent, you paddle your own canoe because there is a sense yeah. that you're in a cohesive party. But the reality is for most of it, you're doing your own work. That was always a tough gig without adding security threats and constant social media abuse. Totally. Um, But I think any public service now is becoming thankless, even around corporate governance, around all that. Like there's just so much stuff going on around that we're, we're just not going to be able to get good people. I mean, you know? one thing that struck me is is uh, Mary Lou MacDonald, I think, in East Wall earlier this week and being confronted as she came outside of an event by by, um, by protesters who have obviously turned on Sinn Féin, particularly in the, last, um, in the last year or two, because they don't perceive the party as speaking to the issues that they care about, which is, is kind of cracking down on, on immigration. Um, so I wonder, given she's the leader of the main opposition party, given she's you know someone who is predicted by some to be the next Taoiseach, whether the, we reach a point where she has to be provided with, with guard or protection, I don't know. But I'm just you know, speculating that such is the level of hostility towards uh, prominent frontline politicians. Um, is it a case that we might have to roll out security for all of those, not just members of the government? In a sentence I never thought I'd say, Steve Bannon doesn't think she's doing a particularly good job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is this is another interesting aspect of what's emerged, or what's what the kind of fallout from the riots last Thursday is that people obviously it, it was something that went international. Uh, you know, it was top of the BBC News on the, on that Thursday night, for example. But the American and, and the American kind of anti-establishment far-right populists have picked up on it. So Tucker Carlson's been talking. The weirdest thing to see Tucker Steve Carlson and Steve Bannon, and Steve yeah. Bannon <laughs> well, discussing, as Steve calls Steve it, Bannon sin vain. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Bannon has described Ireland as a powder keg, I think. And I think they're looking at Ireland and thinking that's the next place that's going to kind of fall to the sorts of things that we've seen in America over the last five or six years. Well, we're Uh, going to be discussing that at length after 10 o'clock with David Gilbert, who uh, works for Wired and specialises in covering disinformation, misinformation and the fomenting of this kind of thing online. So we will come back to that at 10 o'clock. Before that, you're reporting in your own paper, Hugh, in the Irish Independent, this news that Pascal Donoghue may be a likely prospect for one of the biggest gigs in international finance, that being MD of the IMF. Yeah, so this is a report from Bloomberg last night. Um, Bloomberg, which doesn't make this stuff up and uh, is very well sourced in that area and is conscious that when it breaks news, it tends to move markets. So it, it takes great sensitivity with stories like this. 
but they're extremely well sourced. I, I would I would suspect on a story that says that uh, Pascal Donahue is is um, making inquiries about the potential to become the next managing director of the IMF. Um, this is a significant move. This is something that was flagged to me uh, last June as a potential um, option for Pascal Donahue uh, in terms of getting out of, of Irish politics and moving to a more international role. It had long been thought that maybe he'll move to Europe. There might be some ECB gig or something like that, but but um, or not ECB, but European Council perhaps, or or something like that. Um, but he is chair of the Eurogroup. He was re-elected for a second term recently. Uh, something that was unusual was that he's not a finance minister anymore. He's public expenditure minister, but they did a deal where they allowed him to continue even though he's no longer a finance minister. You see that to Michael McGrath last Christmas. Um, so, and we were just saying before <laughs> during the break, yeah. that leads to the odd situation, Eileen, where both he and Michael McGrath end up attending the finance group meeting. So Ireland is overrepresented compared to all of the other EU member states. Absolutely. And obviously it's, it's a, an indication of the esteem in which he's held. So you would kind of think if he yeah. wants this job, he's probably in a very good position to get it. So well, as much as he might want it, do we want him to get it? Is it in our interests to have an Irishman running the IMF or do we lose the Irish access into the ECB that, or into the um, group of finance ministers that we currently have? Well, the IMF is a significantly uh, powerful institution. I think it's no harm as, 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 as we all remember. As we all remember. I mean, if he was head of the IMF back in two, exactly. 2010, yeah. maybe we would have got a better deal. Um, so I think it's 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 in the it's in the country's interest definitely to have an Irishman at, 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 the, at the as the head of the of an organisation such as this. I think you know the, the interesting thing is he, he he seems to have established a very good rapport with Janet Yellen, the US Treasury Secretary, over the last few years, particularly around the Global Tax Accord that was struck. I think. I think last year, um, Donahue was seen as someone uh, was seen by Yellen as someone who could kind of cajole support from countries that obviously have very low tax environments uh, for for corporate entities such as such as ourselves. So uh, but that's friends in high places, isn't absolutely. It? So I think that this is what's fueling this speculation. As I said, Bloomberg don't report this news lightly. Uh, what has Donahue said in response to this? Well, that's the other be... interesting thing is that there's been no outright denial from his spokesperson that uh, of this report. They just say that he's focused on his uh, continuing his term as president of the Eurogroup, which I think is, has another few years to run, uh, and committed to serving his full mandate in Europe, but also will be a candidate in the next election in Ireland. But at no, cha- at no point so far have they taken the opportunity to say this is not true or that the minister is not interested in this position. Well, that's interesting because when the when it was mooted there a couple of weeks ago that he might go for one of the European seats for Fine Gael, they yeah. drove a stake into its heart in instantly. Oh, yeah, he it out nope, instantly. not a prayer. Yeah, no, I, I actually was at the press conference. I think I asked him actually about whether he would run for... Run for uh, the European Parliament next year to keep the the Fine Gael seat in Dublin, and he was categoric that he would he would not be a candidate. So, but no categoric denial thus far in relation to this. Huge the other thing, blow for Fine Gael, like well, a, that's the other in thing, the list yeah. of he, he would join the you know? he would join the growing list of of Fine Gael TDs and ministers who are jumping ship uh, after the next election. And for Leo Radker in particular, Pascal Donoghue would would be one of his um, I would suggest kind of one of his few remaining strongest allies within Fine Gael. So, not good news for him either. Text saying, deal with the criticism. This is in relation to whether it, it, or not it is tough to be a politician. I'd do the Taoiseach's job for a portion of the wages. He should be in minimum wage or work on a voluntary basis. Same class of person always in power. Where are the inner city higher echelon leaders? Nobody in the mainstream working population resonates with Varadkar, Martin or most of the cabinet. I don't want to see politicians' houses or personal lives affected, but that's the job. 
you want to get in touch, 53106 at a cost of 30 cents, you can get us 087 106. Now, Eileen Dunn is picking up a long established and, and very noble tradition, <clears throat> which is of newsreaders dancing on television. This <laughs> hey. <laughs> if I remember rightly, this was begun way back in the By day. By Angela Rippon, correct. <laughs> now, remind me, Angela Rippon, if I have this right, she went on, wasn't it, Markham and Wise? and Wise, yeah, and showed her legs for the first time. Showed a lot of her legs. We're now That's standing it. up, you see. But back in the day, you were stuck behind a desk. So it was big news at the time. Did you resent when they made you stand up? Because other than for the affect of standing up, it was unnecessary that took you out of a nice comfy chair and made you work for it. So I nearly left when I was 60 and that would have been one of the things. This was coming. We were getting a new studio and we're going to have to stand up. And I'm thinking, I'm 60, I'm not 30. You're not putting me into a bodycon dress, you know. But we worked around it and yeah. And then it is uncomfortable and I don't see why. Absolutely, you know. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot to be said for having somewhere to put your stuff put and your, your notes stuff and, and your hands. Exactly. You know, what are you doing with your hands when you're standing up? You know? So going back to Angela Rippon's legs, Angela <laughs> Rippon went on Morecambe and Wise and, as you say, displayed her legs, which were, if I recall correctly, very fine legs. legs. They and were. they're recently been on display again at 79 on Strictly. She's just been on Strictly. Angela Rippon is in 79. She is. Wow. And she was only voted out two weeks ago at, uh, after Blackpool. She then, if I remember rightly, was followed by almost all of the BBC's new researchers en masse on Markham and Wise dancing. Maybe, yeah. She she stands out because it was so unusual at the time. It's a heavy mantle and a heavy legacy a you're heavy, taking on. Yeah. And now she's just done Strictly. So what's the comparison going to be? <laughs> well, this is it. Have you what what precipitated your decision to go on Dancing with the Stars? Because I'm a huge fan and I'm getting the opportunity to learn how to dance. And when I went on my pre-retirement course this time last year, they said, get out there, meet new people, do something different. So here I am. That's not what they meant. When you go on a pre-retirement <laughs> course and they say get out, and they mean take up bowls or walking. They don't mean enter strictly come to our Dancing with the Stars. So have you have you gotten a full handle yet on the sheer level of physical effort it takes? Because having spoken to a number of previous winners, they say by the end of the 10th week, it's like being in the Marines. Yes, I have an idea of it because we just, this is our first week and we're only meeting our partners and meeting the other contestants and all that kind of thing. But there is an indication, yeah. And it's, well, I... <laughs> probably foolishly think it'll all settle down after this week, but probably not. But there's just so much stuff coming at you. And I'm hearing Sha'a say one, two, and I'm saying, stop it right there. What are you talking about? What's Sha'a say? It's, it's a step. And I oh. know I hear them talking on Strictly and Dancing with the Stars about the Sha'a but I don't actually know what that means. So you have to tell me. Right foot, left foot, you know, whatever. We're talking about basics. Now, here. can you dance? I can move, but I can't. You know, I have a bit of rhythm. But I've never danced formally, bar the Grove in Clontarford. That's the, for the Grove or, in Clontarford. I believe <laughs> the gang is still. Yeah. <laughs> a few Irish dancing lessons here, of course. A few Irish, yeah, yeah, press release. Back, back, back in the day, you know. <laughs> but you have never uh, professionally not tangoed not or even at, at a high not amateur not level. No, no, no. What do you make of the competition, not the, the entity, of the people who you are up against? I see is Rosanna Davidson. Rosanna is, Davidson is there. And, uh, I, I, well, only a couple. Of, I, I have to close my mouth now because only a few have been Oh, so, so you I have knowledge that you're not allowed to reveal to us. I that I can't reveal to you yet. Any ringers, without naming them, is there anybody that you look at you say, well, that's just unfair, they were in a boy or a girl band. Is there somebody from Bewitched, as case in point, who might just arrive in and say, well, I've been doing this for years? No, but there is somebody from a boy band. Yeah, but he, Dave, from uh, Wild Youth, he, he has been named. I, I would, Do you fancy I'd, your chance? I'd watch him. 
I mean, I'm 65. And I mean, I, I look and she's at her. 79. Look I know at her. she is, but she kind of ran out of steam. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen to me. I'll look at I'm in. I'll give it my all and we'll see how far we go. We, you have our undying support. We will be keeping an eye on you, Hugh. New salt candidate. Yeah. <laughs> Any desire for a go next year, Hugh? No. No. Well, you never ah, know. Why not? I, I'm, big checks. Because I'm big not, checks. I'm, I'm not famous. Like you, Eileen. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, thank you very much. That is Eileen Dunn, uh, journalist, broadcaster, and now professional dancer on uh, Dancing with the Stars, and Hugh O'Connell, deputy political editor at the Irish Independent. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.